Welcome. Good to see you at church. Thank you, hosting team. Um, I feel like I should start by um, offering an apology um, to everyone this morning. Um, I made the foolish schoolboy error again last Sunday in the 11.30 meeting of declaring that spring had arrived and that it was time for flip-flops and um, storm, was it Clara, Kira? It's a weird thing, isn't it? When I was like growing up, we used to have um, a weather which was called winter and we used to have summer. Now like winter is like storm Derek or storm Edna. It's like, I think it's just winter. I think it's what it is. But anyway, it's good to see you. Apologies if... Um, Somehow, my declaration of springtime was a little bit premature. Um, it's good to see you. I'm Jim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just a massive welcome to you. And also, anyone listening on iTunes, watching um, on YouTube, great that you're connecting with us. It's fantastic um, to look at the Word of God together. We're starting a new teaching series today called Meeting Jesus, and we're going to be um, spending some time in the book of Luke over the next couple of months. You may want to, um, if you have a Bible device, open up Luke. Um, that's where we're going to be hanging out for a while. So in the Bible, there are four accounts of Jesus' life. They're called the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be focusing on Luke. And over um, the next 10 weeks, I think it is, we're going to be looking at 10 different stories. Um, 10 stories of ordinary men and ordinary women who encountered Jesus and how their life was impacted as a result of that meeting, um, how they responded to Jesus, what Jesus said to them, what that meant for them and their lives. Ordinary men and women, we're going to look at a fisherman and a tax collector and a wealthy young man and man, and we're going to look at a couple of sisters that encountered Jesus, a Roman governor, some others. Ordinary men and women who had life-changing encounters with Jesus. And as we look at these stories, we're going to be asking some questions about how we may have responded if we were in their shoes, how we react and respond to Jesus, what meeting Jesus has meant for us in our lives, and the things that he calls us to and asks us to do. We'll consider our own encounters and how our lives have been changed or are being changed. I'm so excited by this series um, because, you know, I mean, the, the Christian life is all about meeting Jesus, isn't it? Ultimately, it's about knowing him, and we're all in different stages in the room. Some of you may be trying to find out a little bit more about Jesus. Some of you may have met Jesus many years ago, but we're going to look afresh at these encounters. Now, maybe as, you, um, as we go through this over the next couple of months, you'll be thinking, actually, I'd like to delve into Luke myself. I just want to recommend a couple of resources. So um, we have Luke for Everyone by Tom Wright. Um, I love the writings of Tom Wright. Um, absolutely fantastic. We've got a few copies of this at the back. He just so helpfully takes you through um, the gospel in a really accessible way. We've also got some copies of um, Straight to the Heart of Luke by Phil Moore. Brilliant communicator, brilliant writer. 60 kind of little insights into the book of Luke. Let me kind of encourage you to consider a challenge over the next couple of months. We're not going to go through it verse by verse on a Sunday. We're going to pick out some encounters, some stories. But you might think, actually, I want to read through Luke as we look at this together. And these would be great resources for you to have a look at to help you with that. And we've got a load of copies back on the table there. So do have a look at that. So Luke wrote this account of Jesus' life. And if you look at chapter 1, just to kind of set the context a little bit of the book... Um, chapter 1 tells us why Luke wrote it, 
and how he wrote it. Um, in fact, we read that Luke did a massive amount of research when writing um, his account of Jesus' life. Luke 1, verse 1 to 4 says that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. So Luke is saying right at the beginning of his account, many, many people have actually written down about Jesus' life. Um, I'm not the only one that's an important little detail, actually, because um, if, if Luke had made stuff up, he would have been called out on it pretty quick because there was loads of people that were writing an account of Jesus' life. And so, actually, there's an authenticity, even in that little statement that he says there. And he talks about the things that had been handed down to us, those that were writing the accounts, by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses. So sometimes, and this may be, you're kind of exploring Christianity or faith or maybe trying to work out why it is Christians um, believe so much of what's written in, in this book and everything that it says. Well, actually, things like this, Luke is saying, this stuff that I'm writing down, it's not myth, it's not legend, it's been handed down to us from my witnesses, from people who were there, who were walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and, and saw these things happen. So I'm writing an ordered account based on what others have written and what's been passed down to us by eyewitnesses. And he says this, I have carefully researched, investigated everything. He's a doctor. We know Luke was very, very thorough in his research. So as we look at these stories, we can sometimes um, kind of think, well, did this or didn't this happen? And some people might wonder, is it myth? Is it legend? Has it been exaggerated? Has it been handed down? What Luke is saying is, no, no, many people have written about these things. Um, there's eyewitness accounts that are informing what I'm writing, and I've carefully investigated those eyewitness accounts to see if they stack up. So as we come to these stories, I want to come with a sense of stepping into these situations, thinking, wow, what must it have been like for that person? What must have this situation felt like to have been there, to have met Jesus, to encounter him in these incredible ways? We are going to start by looking at the story of a fisherman in Luke chapter 5. So you may want to um, turn there. I'm going to read um, a little bit of the passage, Luke 5, verse 1 to 11. And it says this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. 
Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus, imagine the scene. Jesus is teaching on the edge of the Lake of Gennesaret, otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee. Different name, same place. And there's crowds gathered around him, as often there was when Jesus was teaching. And Jesus sees there's some fishermen on the beach, and they're washing their nets. Important detail. That means they had been out fishing and had now arrived back on the shore and were washing their nets so that they were well looked after before they go out fishing next. And Jesus sees them and says, come on, guys, can I use one of your boats? I want to use it basically as a floating pulpit. I want to, I want to go out into the bay so that I can teach um, this crowd that is gathered. And you might think, that's a bit of a strange thing. Why, why would you go out into the bay to teach? Well, actually, along the coast of the Sea of Galilee, near Capernaum, where Jesus spent a lot of his time, was little inlets and coves that acted like the most incredible natural amphitheaters. And um, even today, people will go out on their little boat into the bay and will just talk in a normal voice, and people will hear them all around the bay because of the natural acoustics of the environment. So Jesus is just using the natural acoustics of the environment in this story to communicate to people. And um, scientists have proven that you can uh, speak with a gentle voice and people can hear you for a long way around the bay because of the acoustics. And he sets out and Jesus is teaching in this floating pulpit of a boat. And um, he finishes teaching and he turns to Simon and he says, Hey Simon, why don't you put your nets down again um, for a catch? And you might be thinking, I wonder what Simon's response was in this moment. Uh, you kind of expect Simon to say no, actually. <laughs> um, he's the fisherman in the story. Jesus isn't. Jesus is a carpenter. Um, he's been out all night. I'm imagining what Simon is really thinking about is going home for a cup of tea. That's kind of, he's, he's done a long night shift, um, and Jesus has already asked him, can I use your boat to go out? Yeah, okay, okay. And now he says, should we go fishing again? And he's like, I've just washed all my nets, Jesus. Um, that's a long job. I don't know if I really want to put them out into the murky waters again. And also, it's the middle of the day. Who fishes in the middle of the day? Any experienced fisherman knows you fish at nighttime on the Sea of Galilee, not in the middle of the day. So like everything that Jesus is asking him, as an experienced fisherman, you might expect Simon to say, no. It's the middle of the day, you don't go fishing then. I've been out all night, I want to go home, I've washed my nets, I don't really want to have to do that twice in the same day. But he doesn't say no. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll, I'll let down the nets. It's like we hear the voice of the professional fisherman, and Master, we've been out all night and caught nothing. And you hear the voice of a young disciple, but Jesus, because you say so, I'll do it. It's an interesting little bit of narrative here. Peter knows from experience this is a futile request. The sun is up, but he trusts the word of Jesus nonetheless. Because you say so, I'll do it. Even though it makes no sense, even though I'm the fisherman and you're not, even though we've been out all night, even though all this is true, because you say so, we'll do it. There are moments in our lives when Jesus would ask us to do things that seem to make no sense to us. It's like, what do we do in those moments? Do we say, no, Jesus, it's not convenient, doesn't make sense, haven't got the time for this, or do we say, because you say so, I'll do it. Um, 
Interestingly, this actually isn't the first time Simon met um, Jesus. If you look in chapter 4, there's a little story there of the fact that Jesus had been to his home. Um, Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. Um, so so um, Simon had already welcomed Jesus into his home, had seen something of his power. And in this moment, I guess Simon's thinking, hang on a second, I saw something extraordinary in my house. I wonder what's going to happen here if I'm obedient, if I say yes. Can you imagine if Simon had simply said no? I'm not sure the story would have got in the final cut. Simon, let down your notes. No, Jesus, I'm going home. And that was it. I don't know if that would have made the final story. I wonder how many times though we say no to Jesus because it's not convenient or because it doesn't make any sense. Stories in my life where Maybe I felt prompted to go and pray with someone or talk with someone, but it's inconvenient to do that right now, so I'm not going to do it. I wonder what I've missed out on. I wonder if there was a miracle there which I haven't seen because I didn't say, because you say so, I'll do it, because it wasn't convenient. I wonder if God wants us sometimes to go out. You know, it says in the verses, put your nets out in the depths, right? Get out of your depths. Go into the deep waters, I wonder sometimes if Jesus calls us to go out of our depths to do things we've not done before just so that we may see what he may do in our lives. The safe thing is to stay in the shallows, to stay um, where it's convenient, where it's known. But Simon says, we've been all out all night. There's it's you because of what I've seen you do. Let's go. And then the most amazing thing happens. The nets begin to fill. This doesn't happen in the middle of the day. Any fisherman would know that. The nets begin to fill, and they fill, and they fill until they catch such a huge number of fish that their nets actually begin to break. I mean, there's fish everywhere. Simon calls over to the guys, James and John, in the other boat and says, well, I need your help here, guys. Can you please come and join me? And the other boat comes over, and the nets are so full, they're so heavy, that both the, nets, um, both the boats begin to sink. I mean, this does not happen. This doesn't happen on the Sea of Galilee. This is like the high point of your fishing career, this moment right now, middle of the day. See, when I read these stories, I try and visualize what's going on. I try and imagine what this looks like and what this felt like. And, and I was on um, Twitter the other day and I saw a little video that made me think, I wonder if it is a bit like this. So, guys, is it possible to have that video? That'd be fantastic. Imagining what it must have been like with all these fish. Is that what it was like? Cut a fish everywhere. It's amazing what you can find on Twitter, isn't it? Fish flying everywhere. I'm, I'm not, I, I haven't got much experience of fishing myself. Um, I'm not an angler. I do go crabbing sometimes when I'm in corner with my family. And um, there are moments, not quite like this, but last October half term, we were like, lying down, five crabs up. Lying down, five crabs up. Nice bit of bacon. We caught over 100 crabs in one set. That's my own experience of this kind of story, okay? Um, my boy Levi, actually, he, um, he brought up this absolutely massive, like, deep-sea, proper eating crab. Normally, the ones you get are like this. And he pulled up this crab. It was like, what do anglers do? It was this big. It was... Um, I don't have many experiences, but can you imagine? This is what they do for a job, this is their day-to-day. -day. This is their everyday living. And this incredible miracle takes place. 
So many fish that the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. Simon and his friends would never, ever have had a day fishing like this. So what was um, Simon's response? Because I find it really interesting what Simon does in response to this amazing miracle. You might have thought that his response would be huge celebration, jumping up and down, um, hugging the fellow fishermen, jubilation. Imagine him putting up on shore with this massive catch of fish. I mean, if it would be me, I'd be calling my friends and family saying, come down here. He's hugging his fellow fishermen. He's been out all night. He's tired. He didn't catch anything. And suddenly, more fish than he know what to do with. I mean, this is an incredible result. I mean, think about how many bills this is going to be able to pay for, all these fish. I mean, this is one of the biggest yields that I've ever had. If it was me, I'd be tweeting the life out of this. I'd be, come and see the amount of fish that we have just caught. You won't believe that's what happens, you know. I think if it was today, we'd have the old selfie going on, wouldn't we? Me, Jesus, and the fish. Here we go. Catch the moment. Put it on Instagram. With social media, we'll do the whole thing. It's not what Simon does. What does Simon do? He doesn't even seem to be particularly focused on the fish. He doesn't seem to welcome or celebrate this incredible catch of fish at all. It's very evident he's aware a miracle's taking place. But he's not focused on the miracle. Simon is suddenly very aware of this man, Jesus, who's standing in the boat with him. So this would be like the biggest day of his fishing career. And in this moment, all he can see is Jesus. Look what happens. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. He didn't jump up and down. He didn't get the selfie stick out. He didn't call the friends. He fed on his knees and said, Jesus, go away from me. It's like he had this eureka moment, like, oh, wow, this is who you are. Right. This moment of recognizing like, the light bulb switched on, like revelation. Jesus, you are you're something else. You're not just like another one of the Jewish rabbis. You're not just another ordinary teacher. You're not some kind of, oh my goodness, Jesus, you're Lord. In fact, this is the first time that Simon calls him Lord. Interesting, earlier he calls him Master. Now let's move to Lord. Like, oh my goodness, who are you? Wow. Like this revelation of awe, of who he is, of his sinfulness, that he's so other than Jesus. He's in the presence of of the divine, of God. He's so aware of the gap that exists between him and Jesus in this moment. Just imagine just being in his shoes for the moment. How would we have responded if Jesus had entered into your workplace and done an equally similar miracle or where you hang out for most of your time and done something equally spectacular? Would we have responded with awe, the sense of holiness, that Jesus carries the sense of otherness, the sense of being aware of our own brokenness when we are in the presence of Jesus. How do we view Jesus? Peter's not, yay, Jesus, my new fishing buddy. Let's do that again. We'll get some more. He's like, oh, wow. I'm so aware of who I am in your presence. And I'm so aware, Jesus, you are so other than me. You are truly awesome. We throw that word around quite a lot, but Jesus, you are full of awesomeness. You are incredible, holy. Church, if we are not in awe of Jesus, 
I'm not sure we fully understood who Jesus is. If we don't have a sense of awe and wonder when we gather to worship his name. Many of us have been in the room Christians, I guess, for a number of years, and it can be easy to lose a sense of awe, actually. When is the last time you felt in awe of Jesus? Like, I don't even know what to do. I'm just so aware of your glory. I'm so aware of how amazing you are, Jesus. I'm just in awe of you. When's the last time that kind of revelation of who he is caused us to fall on our knees? Has it all become too familiar to us that we lose the sense of wonder at who Jesus is? Simon has this dawning recognition, oh wow, this is who you are. And suddenly, it's like everything else in the story is irrelevant. The crowds are irrelevant, the boats are irrelevant, the fish are irrelevant. All Simon can see is the glory of Jesus. And he's like, wow. And he falls to his knees in worship. Have you ever been in that place in your life of realizing that actually everything is about him? Everything is about Jesus? It's what it means to know him and to follow him. It's not that he's a quick fix in a time of crisis. He is Lord. He is the miracle worker. Sometimes we can be even more excited about the miracle than we are about the miracle worker. An incredible miracle here, but what the miracle does is point to the miracle worker. We don't worship the miracle, we worship Jesus, the miracle worker. Are we in awe at him? Does he amaze you, fascinate you, still intrigue you, humble you? On Friday, just gone, just a couple of days ago, I spent the day in um, Wimbledon. Uh, I was doing a day of uh, leadership training with about 120 um, people um, from across um, churches in the UK, New Ground Churches. It's a great thing. It's called the New Ground Academy, um, two years training course. We've got about 10 people here from King's Honor at the moment. It's a brilliant course. And um, I was doing just one day, I'll do one day in the two years on leadership. And I was just talking quite honestly about some of the realities of church leadership, how it's not always easy, how it can be hard work and brutal, and, and how actually a lot of my time is spent on kind of structures and budgets and processes and systems and infrastructure and all of that kind of stuff, which is all important, but really, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? I mean, everything is. This is why we're here, isn't it? I mean, why are we here this morning? I hope we're here because it's about Jesus. Why are we singing songs? Because it's about Jesus. Why do we do church at all? Because it's about Jesus. Why do we serve? Because of Jesus. Why do we pray? Because of Jesus. Why do we give? Because of Jesus. If we forget about Jesus, we've become a religious club. Are we in awe of Jesus? Is that the thing that intrigues us still and fascinates us still? That's why we're here this morning. Simon sees it and is like, wow, you're not just an interesting historical figure. You're not just a fascinating philosopher. Jesus, you are Lord. You're Lord. So how did Jesus respond to Simon? It's interesting because Simon's like, Jesus, depart from me. Like, I don't even know how to be in your presence, Jesus. Did Jesus say, Yes, you're right. You are sinful, you disgusting degenerate. Be gone with you. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. It's like a call upon his life. 
Yeah, this thing that you're doing in your job, that's why I've come out here and done this today, this thing that you've been doing for years in your job, you're now going to do that with people. I, I want you to join me, Simon, in um, my call and my mission, which is to reach every tongue, tribe, and nation with the good news of the kingdom of God. Come with me. Let's go fish for people. There's an invitation. There's a call. I've got another way that you might want to spend your life, Peter. Jesus actually draws him closer rather than pushing him away. What an interesting thing that the more aware we are of our sinfulness and the lordship of Jesus, the closer Jesus draws us to himself. Sometimes we may think this, that if we were truly honest about who we are, confess our sins, if he really knew Jesus would put distance between us, the more honest we are when we recognize who we are before him, the closer Jesus draws us to him. Isn't that grace? Isn't that the glory of grace? Jesus isn't looking for people who think they have it all together. He's looking for people who know they don't, who know their brokenness, who know their mistakes, who know their sin, and also know who he is, recognize that he is the Savior, he is the Lord, he is the Messiah. It's in our brokenness that Jesus invites us to partner with him, not in our strength. It's in our acknowledgement that we are nothing without him and he is everything that he actually calls us to partner with him. I love that, that actually the weaker we are, the more we are, admit our sinfulness and our brokenness. It's then that actually Jesus says, great, I can work with you. <laughs> I can, you've got it. You've understood who I am. You've understood who you are. Great, come and join me. It's those who think they're okay, that don't really need Jesus, that he says, I, can't, I haven't come for you. You've got to know that you need Jesus. Do you... Do you know, everyone, do you know that you need Jesus every day? Or do you know it? And this is the moment everything changes for Simon, as well as the other fishermen in the story. On his knees before Jesus, he realizes this man is no ordinary man. He's now been invited into a new future. What's he going to do? How's he going to respond to the invitation? How do we respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Some of you this morning, there's an invitation for you to say, leave your old life behind, follow the Lord. His name is Jesus. So are you going to respond to that? What do we read? They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Wow, imagine this. Seasoned fishermen, most amazing catch in their life. Okay, more fish than they know what to do with. The biggest harvest, the biggest amount of wealth, money, that they've probably ever seen in one catch. They pull everything up on shore, and they walk away from it all. They walk away from the fish. And they don't say, Jesus, give us a couple of hours. We'll just sort out the fish, get them to market, pocket the proceeds, then we'll come follow you. It's like, not even interested. We're only interested in this man, Jesus. It's like, it doesn't matter how many fish are in the nets, I'm leaving that behind. Jesus is a much greater prize. Jesus is a much greater treasure. Following Jesus is better than any of those things that we've had or could have. The most lucrative catch ever, the high point of their careers, and all that mattered was following the miracle worker. If this is who Jesus is, if this is... If this is what he does, if this is Lord, if this is God, then all of this, irrelevant. It's irrelevant. This is the only thing that's relevant now, 
is, is knowing and being in the will of Jesus. A few years later, there's a guy called Saul. We read about him in the Bible. And um, Saul was traveling between um, Jerusalem and Damascus. And as he was traveling, he met Jesus. Another incredible encounter. And his life was transformed. Um, he started preaching the gospel and planting churches. He had a new name. His name was Paul. And he began um, planting churches. And a lot of the New Testament's written by him. And in one of those letters that he wrote to a church in Philippi, he says this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul's the same. I met Jesus and everything else is rubbish. And this is a guy, he was educated, he had power, he had authority, he had good reputation. And he's like, I will lay that all down for the sake of knowing Jesus. So are we willing to do that? Lay it all down for him? Personal ambition, career, wealth, possessions, experiences to say, do you know what? They may be good, but compared to him, they are irrelevant. And so everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. He's the one I'm going to give my life for. He's the one I'm going to follow. <clears throat> Not to look over your shoulder and wonder what you're missing, but to think, no, no, I'm leaving it behind to follow him. 27 years ago, there was a moment in my life where I realized I needed to make this decision. I believed in Jesus. I believed in, in the Bible. I, I knew what it said. But I also really wanted life to be about me and what I wanted to get out of it, to be honest. And a lot of those things weren't great things, actually, most of the things weren't great things. I did church on Sundays, but I did what I wanted the rest of the week. And there's a moment in my life where I suddenly had an encounter with God. And I realized I've got to make a decision here. Am, am I going to leave that all behind and follow him? Is my life going to be for him? Or am I going to still try and do life myself and hope Jesus tags along with me? And I had to make a decision all in for Jesus. Now, now, 27 years later, I'm still working out what that looks like. There are still bits of my life where I'm like, oh yeah, that isn't quite fully surrendered to Jesus yet. That bit of my life isn't quite as all in as I thought it might be. I might need to just think about that again. It's not like, it's not a journey with any of this stuff, but I can remember a moment when I said, I want my life to be defined by following Jesus, nothing else. Like Simon Peter in this story, like Paul, they left everything and followed him. Have we, have I, have you left it behind? Said, you know what? I'm not going to go after those things anymore. We still work. We still have homes. We still have families. We still do leisure, all of those things. But it's like, but the primary thing is that all of this is about him. All of this, my work, my money, my home, my family, my ambition, my leisure, my possessions, it's all about Jesus now. It's not about me we have that revelation of who he is? Jesus is worth so much more than anything this world can offer. So they left everything and followed him. Jesus is amazing. I don't know if you have discovered him yet. If you're here this morning, I believe there's a reason that you're here. I don't believe it's a coincidence I believe Jesus is offering an invitation to you. Would you come and follow me? 
I'd love us to worship. Band, 